Good morning, good evening, good night, everybody. Whenever you're hearing our second episode of Fun News, a podcast where we'll be talking about medical nutrition with first-level opinion leaders in the field. This series of episodes are sponsored by Fontactive, a premium and tasty medical nutrition plan. Let me please introduce our guest today, Dr. Stanislas Kleck. Good morning, good evening, or uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's my real pleasure to be here with you tonight. Thank you, Stash. I will introduce him a little bit more for you to know him. He studied at the Jagiellonian University Medical College in Krakow, where he obtained a PhD degree and where he became a full professor in 2017. After finishing trainings, he became the specialist in general surgery and oncological surgery. He is the head of Surgical Oncology Clinic at National Cancer Institute in Krakow. He is also the head of Home Parental Nutritional Unit at Stanley Dudrick's Memorial Hospital in Skavina, Poland. He has also published more than 200 original articles and served on different national committees and is currently the chairman of the Polish Society for Parental and Enteral Nutrition, more known as Polspen. So with that said, it's almost mandatory to talk about the news that we are having nowadays. How has COVID-19 impact in your practice in general and as a general and an, an oncology surgeon? Well, unfortunately, I must admit that it had impacted us severely in many, many ways. First of all, during the lockdown period in early 2020, We experienced a shortage of staff and uh, at the same time shortage of, of personnel. We had to work in shifts, uh, which complicated surgery to great extent because we had to reduce the number of surgeries, the number of admissions. The same applies to home nutrition, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, increased the period of treatment for many, many, many people. The second, let's say, hit for these patients was the lack of diagnostics. Because in March, everything stopped. There were no endoscopy performed, no x-rays, no CT scans, or, and not even, you know, ultrasound was difficult to use. So patients actually were exposed to the lack of diagnostic modalities, which in practice uh, made it impossible to diagnose cancer or to diagnose surgical illnesses. Uh -huh. And unfortunately, it all paid back months later. For example, in August or September, uh, when it was like the third hit for surgeries, and we experienced the lack of patients because, uh, you know, not many were actually capable of having surgery done because they were not diagnosed. So now we, we started to recover a few weeks ago. So it's, it's super complicated. So I must tell you that in practice, more people suffered from this indirect hit of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 than the direct hit. Because now, because even now, numbers increasing in terms of uh, people infected with coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, but still, the, these numbers are not that big as patients coming to us undiagnosed or too late. But if we, for example, think about pancreatic cancer, the ratio of patients who can be operated versus patients who are incurable on the moment of diagnosis changed in the opposite direction. So now, Eight of ten patients cannot be operated because they come too late, because they were not diagnosed, yeah. because there was lockdown during pandemic. So that's really terrible. Yeah, it's something Yeah, we've been hearing also discussed with 
Professor Schneider in previous episode about the impact in the diagnose in the delays of the diagnosis and the all, all the backlog in the surgeries you were mentioning. In this situation, what's your view in the trend of telemedicine, and how is it impact in the entire nutrition service? So, uh, separate questions, but related to this, the impact in these practices. This is actually. A very interesting question, and I'm not saying this because I'm polite and I like it because you created a nice question, but it is really interesting because we were forced to use 100%, let's say, telemedicine during the lockdown. Yeah, We were able to and allowed to admit only emergencies and maybe a few patients starting the treatment in, in terms of it was complicated. Because all the checkups uh, were done by telemedicine. It was either any form of uh, phone conversation or Skype conversation, any conversation during using the internet media. And we, we as doctors, we actually found it very interesting and very convenient. But in Poland, it didn't work the same way for patients because patients were actually very disappointed. Patients expected us to, you know, to really check them, check on them, not just, you know, talk to them, but they wanted to be seen They wanted to be examined. They wanted to be taken care of. And it was actually forbidden. So, so there was nothing to do about it. So, um, and there was one thing. And also we had to restructure the whole system for home nutrition to avoid, you know, direct contact, to, to limit the, all the procedures, all the other contacts in terms of, like, for example, this and caregiver, which was also very disappointing for patients. So we found telemedicine as a useful tool for a daily practice, but it wasn't the same for our patients. So they actually became very happy when in the late August, our National Health Fund allowed to start meeting again in person. Interesting, very interesting. For this period, what would you say it's been like your most important learning for if we apply to medical nutrition, the learnings you've taken for, from these times? The most important and the most difficult was actually my personal opinion, two, two aspects here were the most important. First, it was how to reorganize logistics, yeah. to make it secure, uh, at the same time effective, and at the same time legal. And our system, for the small things, you know, matter. In our system, we are, for example, obliged to get the receipt from the patient with the confirmation of delivery, okay. which was impossible. You know, during the lockdown and during the pandemic, it's still impossible because we are told not to be in touch with patients directly. But on the same time, at the same time, we have to have this confirmation. So we have to think of different ways. And the electronic ways in, is impossible, you know, the way the, the couriers, for example, like TNT or UPS are working because they have different confirmation system, which does not work for our insurance company. So we are collecting different ways, you know, the confirmations in different ways. And uh, the second most important aspect was how to make the patient assure that the patient is safe. Uh, again, small things. For example, we always train them how to do things around home enteral nutrition, like home tube feeding. And yet, you know, at, at the moment of lockdown, they starting ask, asking questions, oh, what can, I what can I do to improve my safety? Maybe I should wear uh, gloves all the time. Maybe I should wear masks. Maybe, you know, all this kind of, of things. Yeah. And, and we, you know, the answer to this question is actually very simple. And it is enough to say, 
don't worry, you've been trained this way that you already are doing everything fine. So don't worry about it. You're prepared. But they don't believe us, you know, because everybody is so scared about coronavirus. This is impossible. We definitely need more. And in practice, they don't need more because they're already, you know, prepared. The one aspect, you know, they need more, but this is not them. It's the family. Yeah. The family must be more careful around them, but not they uh, about the family, around the family. So this is kind of funny, but it's also very difficult to explain. True. Because, yeah, these patients, they are your patients, we can say that they are more fragile, more vulnerable than the average, right? Those patients with undertube feeding can be in a more yeah, vulnerable state compared to, to other patients. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, you know, at the same time, we made everything safe for them because this was our goal, you know, always. Well, now that we are talking in autumn, do you think are we being prepared for this second, in some places, uh, kind of almost third wave? Do you feel we've learned something like we are prepared for this new wave uh, going on? Uh, in terms of home nutrition, I would say yes. Yes, because we have now guidelines, recommendations. We know how to behave. We know how to check the patient, we know how to react in case of com of complications. So that's the, actually, we've, we've learned this solid lesson from the first wave. But if it comes to surgery, we are unprepared. And there is nothing we can do to prepare. Just, you know, I'll give you the example from the last weeks, let's say real life. We continue working with elective surgeries the way we used to months ago. And we're experiencing shortage of staff, but not because patients are infected, because we diagnose everybody. It's because the staff, the personnel gets infected. But we, we cannot work in shifts anymore, but because it doesn't matter anymore. Because in practice, we are not being infected by patients or people at the hospital. We are getting infected at home because of our kids at school, for example. And the schools are not closed. So it doesn't matter if we stay at home and, and work like every week or every other week. Because, you know, at the same time, people are coming back home, dragging some viruses, you know, from other locations. And this is there's absolutely nothing we can do about it unless there is another lockdown. If there's another lockdown, we'll be absolutely annihilated in terms of any effective surgery. Can imagine. Yeah, just trying to put uh, for one moment coronavirus aside, because uh, we are talking in news almost all day about the thing. But if we can go back to our topic, to medical nutrition, putting the, this current situation aside, talking to a surgeon, how does the um, your routine looks like? Like uh, a surgeon who's involved in, in medical nutrition, which routines does introduce in their day-to-day -day practice? I can tell you uh, the surgical and intensive care perspective, uh, so the point of view. So clinical nutrition is now a part of our normal life, like regular work. So I cannot imagine, for example, writing uh, orders for our patients at the hospital uh, without including orders for either enteral or parenteral or both nutrition, including, of course, oral nutrition as well. So, in other words, what has changed the last decades is this attitude. So, nowadays, 
This is a vital part of our lives. And this is the part without which we just cannot imagine effective surgery or effective treatment of critically ill patients. That's a huge change, by the way. So you notice uh, like more and more interest among surgeons about clinical nutrition? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, even in the, news, the, the place uh, you mentioned I'm, I'm working at now, which is the Cancer Institute, I started a job here a few weeks ago. When I was going there, I was expecting, you know, difficulties. Like I have to train them for nutrition because they probably know nothing about it. And I was very surprised last days because apparently it's just a normal practice for them. So, of course, I can show them some new tricks, you know, some how to do some more sophisticated things. But I definitely don't have to, you know, teach them everything. And I remember this place 12 years ago when I was doing my specialization in, in surgical oncology. And nobody knew nothing about clinical nutrition at the time. So it is a, it's a colossal change. Good. Good news and good to hear about that. Uh, well, since your prominent role in the Pulsepen and also I know how involved you are with the SPEN also, can you tell us a little bit what projects do you have in mind for the societies? It actually applies to both societies and, let's say, both scientific aspects of these societies. The last two years, I've been concentrating on, uh, the, in, on the assessing the impact of oral nutritional supplements for surgical patients before surgery and after surgery and perioperatively. So this is my major, let's say, task. If uh, we should use oral supplements like, you know, high protein or maybe immunonutrition or just standard protein for patients which are undergoing the extensive, uh, so major resections. I'm doing this because I must admit I'm kind of a believer in immunonutrition. But last years, with the whole surgery changing into modern surgery and the modern perioperative care, I started to have the feeling that maybe it's less significant than I expected in terms of, of course, surgical complications, because I'm pretty sure that it's very important for infectious complications. So this is the research that I've been doing the last two years. It's still ongoing. It's multi, uh, not, not multinational, but also multi-center. It's complex. Another research which I'm very interested in is the research on of something different than enteral, so it's parenteral lipids for home patients. So, you know, for like home patients. These two major fields of my interest for within Postpen and Espen last years. But we're also planning uh, going into oncology next month, uh, some other research on oral supplements for, sorry, for cancer patients, not surgical, but cancer patients undergoing chemo and radiotherapy. Okay, thank you. And you were mentioning that these surgeons you were meeting nowadays, they are way more trained than years ago in nutrition. But as a consolidated leader in surgery, oncology, and, and medical nutrition, what career advice could you give to all these young specialists who are starting to deal with clinical nutrition? What recommendations could you give? I think that the crucial one is never divide your professional life uh, in two parts, one part being clinical life in the major things you're interested in, like, for example, surgery or internal diseases or gastroenterology, and the other part, which is clinical nutrition. Always combine both of these professional 
parts of life, because only by doing this, you will become effective and you will become successful in medicine. So in, in other words, make clinical nutrition part of your life. And you will soon see that this is becoming not only the part of your professional life, but also the private life. You will see yourself changing into a more conscious person in terms of nutrition and exercise and, you know, all the activities of daily living. Thank you for this advice and hope all these, these young surgeons will take it. I think we've covered all the topics today. It's been a really big pleasure to have you on our Fun News episode and looking forward to hear from you in the near future. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm flattered and honored to be here with you. And I hope we will have another chance to meet some other time. I hope the pandemic will be gone at that time. Hopefully. Thank you. And hoping that in the episode we can talk again, it's in a post-COVID world. And to our audience, stay tuned for future releases of fun news. Thank you and bye-bye.